Today, I'm excited to welcome Jason Ball onto the show. Jason is the creator and maintainer of the GraphQL for WordPress plugin. Last year, Jason and his plugin joined Gatsby. I'm really looking forward to talking to Jason about everything static, headless, and GraphQL. You can find Jason on Twitter at Jason Ball and the plugin on WPGraphQL.com. Before we begin the episode, I want to tell you a bit about Branch. Branch is my business and the sponsor of this podcast. It's the simplest way to set up automated deployments for your WordPress sites. We've got your back with recipes for all the common workflows that the WordPress developers need, making it super easy and fun, honestly, to build out your deployment pipelines. It's continuous integration and deployment without the learning curve, and it's free to get started. So go check it out. And if you open up the live chat widget and identify yourself as a listener of this podcast, we'll double the amount of free deployments on your account. Yep, twice as many deployments without paying. You can sign up for free on branchci.com. Jason, what makes a WordPress site headless? Uh, headless WordPress site uh, would be where you use WordPress to manage your content. So you use the admin interface that WordPress provides to manage your content, but then you use something other than the WordPress theme layer to render the data. So that could be an iOS application, for example, that maybe uses React Native or Swift or something like that to pull data from WordPress, but uses some other rendering mechanism other than the WordPress theme API. And commonly lately, we've been seeing a lot of JavaScript frameworks using their rendering mechanisms, whether it's React or Vue or Ember even or Angular or anything like that. And they'll communicate to WordPress via an API and render the data with the JavaScript framework instead of the WordPress PHP theme API. So does that mean people are mostly interested in the WordPress admin and not so much, like they wouldn't be using a theme, for example, right? Yeah, I mean, there's obviously still a huge market that wants to use WordPress the quote-unquote classic way. But yeah, there is a, a rise in tooling and things, specifically in the JavaScript ecosystem where you can build component-based architectures much faster, potentially scalable with a lot of benefits like tree shaking and whatever. So like your front-end performance ends up being faster, but you still need to manage data somewhere. And instead of reinventing the wheel and building a whole CMS, turn to existing stuff like WordPress. Uh, WordPress powers, what is it, something like 38-ish percent of the web today, the top 10 million sites or whatever. And so, you know, a lot of content editors, a lot of teams that are writing content and publishing content are familiar with it. And they just want fast websites. Developers have been using WordPress because it's existed and people like to write content in it. And there's plugins and all sorts of stuff, big ecosystem. But a lot of developers don't love the experience of developing for WordPress, right? Like Stack Exchange or whoever it is does a survey every year. And WordPress is almost always at the top of most dreaded software for developers. So if we can give the users the experience of writing content in a system they like, but also give developers an experience of using tools they like, the decoupled architecture can be a win for both parties and ideally a win for the users, the end users, because you have a really fast site as well. So Wait, so you're basically saying if we're using headless WordPress, we won't really have to be WordPress developers. We won't really be doing WordPress development so much. Depends. So I maintain WP GraphQL, which is a GraphQL API for WordPress. So what that does is it exposes much of your WordPress data in an API. 
So if you can get by with a lot of the core data that WordPress provides, and that's all you need, uh, you can start right away consuming that data into whatever front-end technology you want, whether it's Gatsby or Next or anything like that, or an iOS app. Oftentimes, you're going to run into points where you're like, oh, shoot, Like we have this certain custom data that we manage also. So depends. Like right now, Yoast SEO, for example, is a really popular WordPress plugin. There is an extension for Yoast that exposes Yoast data to the WP GraphQL API as well. So in that case, if there is a way to make your data that you're managing in WordPress exposed to the API, then you can start consuming data right away without having to write any PHP in WordPress. If you're doing something with custom data and maybe there's no map for that data to the GraphQL API, then in that case, you yourself or a developer you know or whoever might have to write some code to expose the data to an API. Currently, I'm supporting like advanced custom fields, which is a very popular WordPress plugin to manage custom fields in WordPress. So you can add metadata to posts and taxonomy terms and users and things like that. And so I have a plugin that maps all that data. You can build your forms however you want and maps that data to the GraphQL API. And then there's like plugins like custom post type UI, for example, where you can register post types and taxonomies so I have an extension that just adds like a little checkbox and a couple fields that allows you to register those to the GraphQL API as well. So we're working on all sorts of extensions. We've got WP GraphQL for WooCommerce, for example, maintained by Jeff Taylor. WP GraphQL for Gravity Forms, maintained by Kellen Mace. So we've got a lot of community members that are bridging some popular WordPress plugins to GraphQL so that, yeah, you can be a purely React or Vue JavaScript developer or iOS developer, for example, or Android or whatever it might be. And you can start using WordPress in many cases without writing any PHP or any history of WordPress development. That's pretty fascinating, actually. When I first heard about GraphQL, it wasn't immediately obvious to me what it was. Do you have maybe a simpler way that you explain to folks what GraphQL is if they've never worked with it before? Maybe they've heard it mentioned, but they don't know much about what it is or what it does. Uh, yeah, uh, I'll do my best. <laughs> so GraphQL is a query language specification for writing queries to an API and getting data returned to you in the exact shape that you ask for it in. It has some similarities to REST APIs in that you get JSON responses uh, when you ask for data, but the difference is you have one endpoint and you specify yourself, the client, whoever's asking for the data specifies down to the field what data they want. Where REST API, you specify an endpoint and the server specifies what data you'll get in response. So you have limited control. Where GraphQL, you have to explicitly express what exactly you want and you'll get that in response. And you can follow relationships as well. In a GraphQL API with WordPress, for example, you could ask for a list of posts, but then you can also ask for the author of the post, which is a different entity. And then in a RESTful API, that would be a different endpoint. You'd have to hit an endpoint for post, and then you'd get an ID for the author, and then you'd have to hit an endpoint for the author. Or in GraphQL, you can follow those relationships uh, in a single request, and then you can specify the exact fields on every object type uh, that you want in response. So it actually, it feels more like a SQL or something like that, where you can find ways to pull out, you know, you could join tables and, and do stuff like that. Yeah, there was some inspiration from SQL. So GraphQL was created by Facebook back in 2012. 
they used it internally for a few years, open sourced it in 2015. And they, they were heavily inspired by SQL and some other data languages. It's also quite a bit different than SQL. But yeah, it's a, there are some similarities in that you can get multiple types of data, individual requests. So when you're using, and we already mentioned this, like you have a plugin that helps people use GraphQL with WordPress. And when you're using your plugin, how deeply do you need to understand GraphQL to benefit from using your plugin? It depends how you want to use it. I think a, a lot of people that use it today are JavaScript engineers. JavaScript developers are the primary users right now. Uh, so understanding how to consume GraphQL would probably be important. In my opinion, it's pretty easy to get going with. There's amazing tooling to start tinkering with it. Uh, you might not know it deeply, but you can feel productive within a few minutes, understanding at least the basics. So WP GraphQL has, when you install one of the latest versions, it has a tool called Graphical built in. So when you install it, you have this tool called Graphical in your WordPress admin, and it's an IDE that lets you write GraphQL queries and has really cool features like type ahead. So you just start typing like the word post, and it will show you all the instances of post in your GraphQL schema. And then you can select what fields on the post you want to ask for. And then you just hit this play button. It executes a query, gives you the data back, and it feels like magic the first time you ever do it. And then you're hooked and then you use GraphQL for everything. <laughs> so what your plugin does is basically you've implemented the GraphQL layer on top of like the common WordPress data models and plugins that a lot of people use and stuff like that. Can you explain a bit how that works? Yeah, sure. So when you install WP GraphQL, it creates a slash GraphQL endpoint on your site. So it'd be site.com slash GraphQL. And then that allows you to send GraphQL queries to that endpoint and get data in response. So GraphQL is based on a schema. So what that means is you describe the types of content or types of objects that your API can return. So WP GraphQL defines types in the schema for things like posts and pages and you know categories and tags and users and comments and media and all that stuff. So it does a lot of this out of the box for you so that WordPress content just can work. And then it sets up all the relationships too. So if you set up a post type to be connected to a custom taxonomy, it automatically sets up the ability to query those relationships like custom post type A, and then you can ask for taxonomy B or whatever. Uh, so it sets up a lot of that stuff for you. It sets up the fields like you know the title of a post and the content of a post and the excerpt of a post. So like sets up most of the stuff that you can do in normal WordPress internally in PHP, allows you to do outside of WordPress in JavaScript or whatnot. And then it provides a lot of APIs for plugin or theme developers on the WordPress side in PHP to hook in and register their own fields to and types of data to add that to the API. So yeah, out of the box, it gives you most of the core data that you can think of that would be useful. Even like general settings, like the title of your website, for example, and things like that. So if I'm building a, like a JavaScript app or a JavaScript-based site, or if I'm building an iOS app or something like that, I can kind of like make the same query. I'm thinking like the good old loop in WordPress when you're building a theme. Like you can get all that information and display it like in a JavaScript context or like work with it in a JavaScript context, for example. 
Yeah, exactly. So you can do exact same thing. So you'd write a query and you'd specify you want a list of posts. And then on each post, you want the node, which is kind of a GraphQL language thing. Each entity in the graph, we call it nodes. Uh, so you can write a query that just says, hey, I want posts. And on each post node, I want the ID, the title, the date, or whatever. And then you'll get a JSON response. So you don't quite have to do the loop. The reason you use the loop in WordPress is uh, to handle like global state. WordPress uses a lot of global state. So like as it loops over your data, it sets the current post in global state and it sets the author of the post in global state and things like that. So then you can determine is this post allowed to be seen by the person who's asking to see it and things like that. So WP GraphQL does all that behind the scenes for you. So you can ask for a list of posts and it's going to know if you're allowed to see the post or not, for example, behind the scenes. So it does all the global stuff that the loop would do for you behind the scenes. If you're logged in, you can ask for things like draft posts, but if you're not logged in, and you ask for draft posts, you won't get any in response. It knows you're not allowed to see them. Same thing with you know password protected posts. Like it'll expose certain fields, like the title, like a WordPress homepage might do, but it won't show the content. So it respects like all the access control rights or whatever the term is for WordPress content, and it abstracts it away for you. So like normally, if you're building a WordPress theme. You're going to write some PHP to query some content, and then it's kind of up to you to determine with current user can functions, like can the current user see this field or can they not? So WP GraphQL tries to abstract that away as much as possible and say, hey, this is how WordPress core treats data. I'm not going to make you stress about it. Like I'm going to respond if you have access to respond or I'm not if you don't have access to it. And then you can granularly control that for like your site behind the scenes if you need to. Like if there's a certain field that WordPress maybe keeps private, but you want to allow there's filters and whatnot to override some of that default behavior. Let's say an agency is building like a Next.js site or something like that, and they're using WordPress on the back end. So they want to use a, your plugin to allow that. Do you find that they like typically would have to extend the plugin to get the functionality they need? Or would for most use cases, it would just work out of the box? And also, like, part of the question, like, how extendable is it? Is it fairly easy to extend it, like, if you have extra data or something like that? Yeah, it kind of depends on what data they need. Like, uh, I would say in most cases, you're probably going to extend it. Just like WordPress, like, it's pretty rare that I've ever seen anybody using WordPress with just, like, the default theme and no plugins. Like, I think I've been working with WordPress for 12 years full-time, and I don't think I've ever seen that other than just like people playing around for the first time. I don't know if I've ever seen a production site that hasn't extended WordPress in some way. And so the GraphQL API is going to be the same way. It expects it to be extended. And so a lot of the work I've done is building APIs that make it easy to extend. Let's say you have a post and you want to expose a color field, for example. In the back end, you're going to build a meta box for the user to enter some color on the post. And in GraphQL, there's a function called register GraphQL field. And so you just write uh, register GraphQL field. You specify the post. I want to register this to the post type in the schema. And then you give it a field name, like color. And then you just write a function to resolve it. Or, well, you specify the type. So you'd say, hey, this will be a string. This is always going to return a string. So the user knows what to expect. And then you write a result function that is past the post object. 
and then you can do whatever you want, like get post meta for that post ID, the color meta field, and then you return that. So in you know three lines of code, you can add custom fields to the GraphQL schema. And then what's cool about that is since it's a graph, anywhere you can get to that post in the graph, that field will be available to it. So you can ask for a list of posts, for example, and then ask for the color field of each post. Or you can ask for one individual post by ID maybe, and you can ask for the color field on that post. Or you can ask for a specific category or tag, and then the posts within that tag, and then you can get the color field on that post. So with three lines of code, you can access this color field of every post like a hundred different ways. We're like in REST, for example, the REST API, you'd have to register an endpoint and then register fields. So like you'd have your post endpoint and it would show up there. But if you wanted to specify like, I want featured posts or something, well, shoot, now I got to go register a new endpoint and then I got to specify what fields on that endpoint. It's like not everywhere a post shows up in the REST API is it treated the same. And it's because you want to control usually like you don't want to over deliver data in REST. But with GraphQL, you, the consumer specifies what they need. So you don't have to worry about that problem. The server can say, here's what's possible for you to ask for. But then it leaves it up to the client to actually ask for it when they need it. Yeah, the ability to extend on the server is much less involved than extending the REST API and certainly like DexML, RPC API. Yeah, it sounds like it's pretty extendable and that's awesome to hear. This next question might be slightly politically loaded, maybe. I don't know, maybe even like a slightly explosive topic, but why would we need the REST API if we have your plugin? Like, why would you choose the REST API over GraphQL, for example? So GraphQL is new, obviously. REST as a technology has been around for, what, 20 years or something like that. So it's familiar for folks, right? Also, REST API for WordPress is actually in WordPress core. So I think that's probably the biggest reason is you know it's always there on every site. WP GraphQL right now is a plugin. If you're building a plugin and want to use GraphQL in the admin of WordPress, for example, well, there's no guarantee GraphQL is going to be there unless you ask the user to also install this other plugin. So that's a big trade-off, right? Like right now as a plugin, more targeting like agencies and whatnot that want to build decoupled sites or even build stuff coupled like you can use graphql within php too it doesn't have to be javascript or ios or whatever but yeah the target is since it's not in core you're limited on how you can use it unless you want to like bug your users hey install this dependency also which is not a common thing i would say in wordpress so i think that's the biggest trade-off is it's not in core will it ever be in core i don't know uh it's a loaded thing graphql is evolving outside of wordpress right and if I want to keep up to date, and WordPress is really committed to backward compatibility. Right. So if we decided today as a community, hey, let's get GraphQL into core, and GraphQL decides they release a new spec every six months. So the GraphQL today might not be the GraphQL of six months from now. And so WordPress has a decision to make. Like, do we actually make a breaking change? Or do we have two versions of GraphQL with a lot of technical debt? I mean, WordPress is obviously not scared of technical debt. So you, you kind of like, do we evolve with the world or do we freeze in time? And uh, as a plugin, it allows us to you know, opt in if it's a valuable thing for your project. 
but we can also keep up and you can opt into whatever version makes sense for your project. So if we make breaking changes, you can opt in when you're ready to, uh, where if it's in core, you're stuck with whatever decisions were made the day it landed in core. So like the rest API, for example, came in what late 2016, I think. And we've seen extremely little changes to it over the years, other than minor things to support Gutenberg. We're seeing application passwords coming in this next version, which is cool. WP GraphQL works with that too. So you do authenticate itself with application passwords. But yeah, the REST API has seen very little evolution over the four years it's been in core. And I think if GraphQL were to make it in core, we'd see the same thing. The rest of the world would continue evolving GraphQL and WordPress would be stuck on whatever version. Are you seeing people using the REST API for their headless sites as well as the GraphQL plugin? Yeah, for sure. I would say the REST API can be a little bit easier maybe sometimes to get started with because all you do is hit an endpoint and boom, like you got a bunch of JSON data. Where with GraphQL, you actually have to write a query. So you have to understand a little bit of the semantics of how to write a query. There's tooling like Graphical, for example, that makes it, I would say, pretty easy to get started with how to write a query. You do have to understand the nuances of it. Uh, where with REST, it's like you hit an endpoint, boom, you got some data, and then you do something with the data. So it starts off a little bit easy with REST. It can get hard when you start doing stuff like relational data, like, oh, I need a list of posts, but then I need the author, and then I need the author's avatar. So now I'm hitting that post endpoint, author endpoint, an avatar endpoint. And then I got to figure out how to cache all this stuff. And then I got to figure out when do I render it? Do I have to wait for all three endpoints to hit? So like, it starts easy, but can get more complicated faster. GraphQL probably, I would say, starts maybe a little more complicated because you got to learn this new language if you've never seen it before. And then you got to figure out, okay, how do I make this as an HTTP request? There's tooling that helps. Like there's a client called Apollo and they support like React and Vue and iOS, for example. So pretty much any front end that you're going to be working in, you can use Apollo with. And they abstract a lot of things. So you just write your GraphQL query the same way you would in the graphical IDE. And then you just copy that string that you wrote as a query and paste it into Apollo. And then Apollo handles like all the magic of making an HTTP request, getting the data, caching it, normalizing it. So then you can reuse it throughout your application without having to talk back to the server. So there's tooling in GraphQL that makes it easier, but I think it's more complicated to start. So I work at Gatsby, which is a static site generator based on React. Uh, you can build really cool stuff, not just static sites. You can build applications with it and everything too. Gatsby, before I joined, had a WordPress source plugin, which allowed you to get data from WordPress from the REST API. Beyond like very basic sites, people ran into issues pretty quickly. And the reason is because the REST API in WordPress doesn't enforce a schema. So a decoupled application like Gatsby doesn't know what is possible to be returned from WordPress. It just like all of a sudden gets data. So Gatsby does have a GraphQL layer itself and it needs a consistent data source basically to work well. I think any application really needs consistency to work well. But when you're talking decoupled architectures, you really need that. You need hey, you promised me you're going to give me this, and all of a sudden you gave me something different. I don't know what to do. And the REST API is guilty of that. It doesn't enforce a schema. And so decoupled applications don't know what to expect. So if you install like 
advanced custom fields for the REST API, and you start populating advanced custom fields in your WordPress site, every single post in your REST API response is going to have a different shape of data. And there's no way for a decoupled client to know ahead of time what's possible. It's just like, hey, you're going to get some data, but like prepare for literally anything because I can't tell you ahead of time. And so folks ran into issues really fast using Gatsby with WordPress. And honestly, it's not a Gatsby specific thing. Any decoupled architecture, you're going to run into issues if you can't predict what you're going to get ahead of time. And so GraphQL enforces a schema. So like you can't use GraphQL if you don't declare ahead of time what's possible to be returned. Like advanced custom fields, the pro version, which I think most users are probably familiar with, has a feature called flex fields. And uh, what that means is like you can return a field that is one of many different shapes, similar to Gutenberg blocks, right? It could be an image block. It could be a paragraph. It could be one of many things. So Advanced Custom Fields has this feature where you can define the layouts, they call them. And it could be a group of fields with a text field, or it could be an image field, or it could be a select field, or it could be a user field. And for decoupled application, you need to know ahead of time what your possibilities are. Can it be one of these five things, or can it be something else? And so GraphQL solves that by saying, hey, you don't even have to ask for data, but I can tell you it's going to be one of these subset of options. And then something like Gatsby can prepare for that and say, okay, I'm now prepared to accept any of these five things. And if you don't return that, then like you're the one screwing up and you need to fix it, right? So yeah, that's a big thing. Even on basic sites, you get burned pretty quick, I think, using the REST API. There's like funky stuff too. Like if you ask for a media item, for example, it'll tell you the parent ID. A parent of a media item could be of any post type. And you're given an ID, but you don't know what type. So you don't know what endpoint to hit. So you'd have to iterate over every possible post type endpoint just to figure out what the parent of media item is. And so there's just like quirky things like that, that if you start building something and try to take it to production, you'll get burned pretty quick. Yeah. Like when I think about it, like it seems like GraphQL is more pragmatic. Basically, the client creates their own endpoints in a sense. And with, with REST, it's like it's more idealistic because it's like we want to fit everything into this RESTful model where each entity has like their own endpoints for like index for all of them and like show for a single item. And we try to like religiously like fit everything into this RESTful model, whereas with GraphQL, it's much more pragmatic. It's like, okay, for this page, I actually just need these three things and like these other things and a fourth thing and like you just kind of like put together what you need and kind of like also what it makes me think of as an analogy is like when i open up my sql editor basically you know to look at my database if i just click the table name it just shows all the data and that's kind of like reminds me of like a rest endpoint yeah but then when i go to like the query builder i can just query for and join like the specific data i want and that's more like what you're able to do with graphql yeah that's a pretty good analogy I think one difference, SQL, you can do like select star queries and then it'll give you everything from a table. That doesn't exist in GraphQL. GraphQL enforces you have to specify the fields you want. There's tooling out there that like you can start typing it and it will pre-fill literally every field. Or like graphical, if you install WP GraphQL, you get the graphical and the WordPress admin. And it has like this checkbox builder where you can like build like what fields you want on a post. So you can do similar things. But you still do have to be explicit. You have to say, 
if I want everything, you actually have to explicitly define what you mean by everything. And you're going to stop somewhere, right? Because uh, GraphQL, the nature of it being a graph, you can follow those relationships. So you're going to have to stop somewhere. Otherwise, you get in these like endless recursive loops because you could ask for the post and then the tag of the post and then the post within the tag and then the post and then the tags of that post and then the post of that tag. You have to tell GraphQL like when you want to stop. So there's constraints like that that can be like maybe a little confusing at first or whatever. But I think like when you start working with it, you're like, oh, shoot, like this is saving me from doing something stupid. Because you can do the same thing with REST, right? Like you could write a function to go get a post endpoint and then follow up to get the tag endpoint and then get the, like you could accidentally find yourself in that side as a consumer of a REST endpoint um, where GraphQL says, hey, you have to tell me when to stop and then I'll stop. Yeah, it's just a whole different like way of doing things. And I remember the first time I interacted with the GraphQL, GraphQL API was the GitHub API. And suddenly it's like it's no longer rate limiting in like in terms of like how many requests you can make. Like each request has like points for or credits for like how yeah. advanced the query is because you know you can make one query that's really, really heavy because you're querying for so many relations. So they have a credit system based on that and they charge per request. So that's just like a, a different paradigm. Switching gears a little bit here, we talked about like how a site can be headless. The next thing I kind of want to hear is what makes a site static? Uh, yeah, sure. So static site would essentially be uh, you have your content, your templates all pre-built and deployed to a CDN. The actual pages will be served from the edge instead of the user having to make a request and executing PHP, which executes MySQL, which then builds the template and then returns something. So that's kind of like the normal WordPress flow. Obviously, you can put a like page cache in front of it, which is essentially makes it a static site at that point. Yeah, so static would just be like you have just a pre-built page that's served from a CDN is kind of the most basic definition. And one example of a static site generator, right, is Gatsby. Essentially, the company behind Gatsby also acquired your plugin and essentially, I guess, acquired you to work on this plugin full-time, right? Like, can you kind of explain the setup there? And Yeah, so yeah, I'm an employee of Gatsby now. Uh, WP GraphQL is a still GPL community project. I'm maintaining it for the community. You don't have to use Gatsby to use it, so you can use it with whatever you want. Next or any Gridsum, which is like a view competitor, uh, iOS apps, like anything you want. Build PHP themes and use GraphQL like it's to benefit everybody. But Gatsby is investing pretty hard in making the WordPress plus Gatsby experience a good one. I've been working on it for a little over a year, and there's two parts to it. So I'm, I'm working on the API side of WordPress to expose data from WordPress. And then I have a coworker, Tyler, who's working on the consuming side, getting data from WordPress into Gatsby so that then you can use all your WordPress data that WP GraphQL exposes in Gatsby with your React components. And then you can also use it alongside other data sources. Like, like a lot of places I've worked, I've built websites where 90% of the content's in WordPress, but the HR team always wants to manage job postings in some other system, right? But like, I think that's pretty common. And so like, you got like all your content come from WordPress and now you're like, oh shoot, like how do we render this data from this other third party? It's like, I guess we'll iframe it. You know, like who knows, like whatever. Well, with Gatsby, you can pull on a source plugin from WordPress and then you could pull on a source plugin from whatever other like 
job management API that they're using. And then you can source both things, build your React components with the same styles and the same everything, the same component libraries that you're using. Then it outputs a static page that you can serve from a CDN. So instead of having like the user load your job listing page, and then it has to wait for some live request to some remote service to figure out and then render. So like people are waiting three seconds to see a job listing. It's pre-built, right? So the way Gatsby works, it fetches the data ahead of time. You write components or pages built out of components, and then it composite to a static HTML page. And then it on queues React uh, when the client visits the page. But a lot of Gatsby sites you can use without JavaScript at all. Not everyone. Some of them depends on how they're built. Um, but a lot of them you can turn off JavaScript and you just have a static HTML page. And it's going to load in milliseconds. And every time the user is visiting the page, it's not talking to WordPress directly. It already talked to WordPress once and built the page. And then what we're doing also, we have another plugin called WP Gatsby that kind of tracks activity on the WordPress side. So it's another WordPress plugin you install. And as you're making changes, like, you know, you fix a typo in the title of a post, it sends notices to Gatsby saying, hey, this content changed. And then Gatsby says, oh, cool. Like, you let me know that a post changed. Gatsby tracks where all the pages a post content would live. So WordPress sends a notification. WP Gatsby sends a notification to Gatsby saying something changed. Gatsby then rebuilds just the parts of the Gatsby site that were affected by that change. It's called incremental builds. So then within a few seconds, in in many cases, your static site is rebuilt. And now you have a really blazing fast static site for your users, but a dynamic editing experience still. And you could potentially be sourcing from multiple data sources. It's not limited to just WordPress. Something a lot of WordPress sites have installed is a, some form of form builder. How does that work if you're running a static site? Like, can you still have forms on your website? Yeah, you can. I would say currently the integration between like Gatsby and WordPress form builders, it's got work to do still. There's like WP GraphQL for Gravity Forms, uh, which is maintained by Kellen Mace. And he uses it for a pretty big project he was building. So it does work. There are options. It's maybe a little complicated at the moment. But you can also use other things like uh, Formic. I think they have a cloud service now. It's like you can build like these React forms and then you submit it to their cloud service. So you can put it in a static page and it'll submit. Or you can use, there's all sorts of forms as a service libraries out there. Um, So you can definitely use a lot of those. As far as submitting back to WordPress, right now we have probably a ways to go before we like have a real good solution on that. You can do it on your own right now, though. WP GraphQL supports mutations. So we've talked a lot about querying data, like getting data out of WordPress. But WP GraphQL also supports mutations, which is writing data back to WordPress. That was actually like the original use case of WP GraphQL. I worked at a newspaper and we syndicated a lot of content. We had a network of 54 PHP sites that had to talk to each other. And so GraphQL's primary use case early on was sending data to other WordPress sites. So you can do that. You can register mutations, like you could register a mutation for contact form, for example, and you can specify what fields you want to accept. And then you could build a form in a reactor view or whatever you're using. When the user clicks submit, it would submit a mutation to GraphQL API. So you could register a post type or even hook into an existing form plugin and have a mutation that saves the data in however you're saving it in WordPress. 
for it to be kind of like out of the box with form builders, we do have ways to go on that. But you can do it today if you don't mind writing a little bit of code. That's one thing that's kind of like different from like the normal like WordPress paradigm, I guess. Another thing I'm thinking about is hosting. Like, I guess you still need to host the backend somewhere. But then the Gatsby side or like you mentioned the CDN, but like, can you explain just kind of like what does the hosting look like? Sure. Yeah. So depending on your setup, if you're the only author, like if it's a personal blog or something and you're the only person that's editing content, you can potentially just even use a tool like local by flywheel or something like that, maybe. But if you have more than one person and you know don't want it on your local machine, yeah, you're probably going to have to host WordPress somewhere. The benefit though is if you're using something other than WordPress as the front end, you don't have to support the front end traffic. So if you were paying X amount of dollars to support 100,000 views a month or whatever, you don't have to support that anymore. You just have to support the editors of the content. So if you have five people writing content and 100,000 people visiting the site, you really only have to support those five people now. So you might be able to cut costs quite a bit on the WordPress hosting. But then, yeah, you do have to host your static output somewhere of your Gatsby site, like GitHub pages even, like you can host like static files on. Netlify has uh, free hosting. You can pay for like Netlify builds. So like you can hook up your WordPress site to send notifications to Netlify to build. So Gatsby Cloud is a service that we have now. Okay, so there's actually one thing we didn't talk about. Gatsby Cloud has a thing called Preview. When you go decoupled with WordPress, you lose out on a couple of things that you get for free in WordPress and Preview is one of them. So Gatsby Cloud brings that back. You can build your site in React and Gatsby, and then you can click Preview. And if you're using Gatsby Cloud, you will see your preview in Gatsby. So it's a super cool experience. But yeah, so you get that with Gatsby Cloud. And the Gatsby Cloud right now is a build service that can deploy to any host you want. So you would hook up your WP Gatsby plugin in your WordPress admin to point to Gatsby Cloud. Whenever you make a change in your content, it would notify Gatsby Cloud. Gatsby Cloud would do the incremental build, and then it would deploy to whatever CDN you pick that is supported. So it could deploy to Netlify or like Amazon S3 or whatever CDN that you configure. Um, some of them are free or extremely cheap. Like my doc site, docs.wpgraphql.com, is on Netlify today, and I'm not paying for it. Yeah. The free hosting is definitely a benefit of building these static sites and having everything behind a CDN is great. It should be pretty hard to like DDoS a, a static site unless you can take down Cloudflare or something like that. Yeah, the whole world's got problems on their hands if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. Jason, this is really cool. I think this is a great introduction to some of the concepts here. And I think maybe a good introduction for people to not know everything but maybe just enough to get their feet wet and maybe just install the plugin and, and kind of like play around with the graphical editor and just see it for themselves because obviously it's hard this audio format it's hard to explain all this stuff and it probably helps to see it so yeah jason i really appreciate your time this was super interesting to hear about and i'm sure people find this helpful yeah yeah man thanks for having me awesome we'll talk to you later take care yeah cool see you